2: Vegas for Coast hoops Coast with myself Greg Ape and now a part of the Lisa Family and Podcast. We got a superb podcast for you as it's another one of our conference preview editions. Today we're taking a look at the Missouri Valley Conference. We rallied for the Valley in segment number two with Kevin Sweeney, taking a look at all these rosters. He does tremendous work, Kevin does, over at Sports Illustrated. He does a lot of their NBA draft coverage and is a tremendous mind when it comes to a lot of the Midwest teams, a lot of these mid-major teams. We're going to be diving in on all 12 of these rosters. We did see a coaching change or two in the conference as well, especially with Valparaiso. We're going to be diving in there. Kevin just has so much intel on so many of these teams, so it's going to be great to be able to get him on there. Here in segment number one, we're going to be taking a look at the betting trends of the Missouri Valley Conference. and. A little bit about the styles of play as well. And then in the final segment, I'm going to get you guys my projector or finish for this wonderful conference. I always look forward to the Missouri Valley Conference every single year. So this is going to be fun. And if you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Janet underscore 81. Keep in mind letters here. Yeah. Maybe doesn't matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast, via that five-star review. With this being a conference preview edition, I am not going to hit the news and notes of college basketball from Saturday. I will instead be doing the previous 48 hours. So Saturday and Sunday, pretty much a weekend roundup on the podcast tomorrow. And now that all the formalities are taken care of, let's get down to business and let's take a look at a Missouri Valley Conference where home court advantage was paramount in this conference. You take a look at just how these teams performed at home versus on the road, and it was night and day. We're now up to 12 teams in the Missouri Valley Conference with all the realignment that we saw last season. And all but three teams went at least 50% against the spread at home. You're going to take a look on the road and it was relatively brutal. And you're able to make money on five different teams at home. Missouri State, they went 6-5 and 2 against the spread at home. Belmont 8-5 and five against the spread at home. UIC, Illinois, Chicago 9-4 and 1 against the spread at home. Indiana State 10-4 and four against the spread and Bradley a blistering 13-2 and two against the spread at home. You'll notice that this is a conference that is now a little bit more spread out because when you think of the Missouri Valley Conference you think of teams in the state of Illinois in Missouri. But now we've got a little bit more Shall we say representation out there in the state of Illinois for one with UIC coming in, but now you've got Belmont in the fold as well, and that spaces things out just a little bit more. So you do have a little bit more travel that is involved with this conference. Now so you're going to note that there were a few teams that they were below 500 against the spread in the conference at home. Northern Iowa was the biggest of them, five and ten against the spread at home. It was just a case where there wasn't a lot of depth on this team. You're going to find out that they've got a lot of pieces returning in segment number two. But Southern Illinois, they went 6-8 and eight against the spread at home and Evansville 5-8 and eight against the spread at home. These were two of the slower teams that you were going to find in all of college basketball. And the Missouri Valley Conference has traditionally been a very slow conference, but we're starting to see this change just a little bit. Josh Schertz, that hire over at Indiana State, that did turn things around just a little bit as he came in from D2 Lincoln Memorial where he ran it and he gunned it and... Well, he has taken that style with them to Indiana State, 60th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Two seasons ago, you would not have found anyone even close to that in the Missouri Valley Conference, Illinois, Chicago. They joined last offseason after they were in the Ryzen Lake. They were 109th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And the other main team that came over along with Murray State, cannot forget about Murray State, but... Belmont, 126th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Murray State, they were a little bit of a faster team as well in comparison to most of your other Valley teams. They were 227th in the country, but when you consider a lot of these other teams in the Missouri Valley, that's relatively rapid. Northern Iowa, in recent years, they've kicked things up, 221st in the country in terms of total possessions per game. A little bit slower than a few years ago, but if you remember like five years ago, Northern Iowa, they used to be just such a slow team. It's not even funny. Still, going slow wins in this conference. You take a look at a lot of the top teams, like Drake, like Southern Illinois from a season ago, and they went super-duper slow. Southern Illinois. 340th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Drake was efficient. They were 214th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And then the team that actually won the regular season, because we all thought that it was Drake because they went to the NCAA tournament, what have you. That'd be Bradley. They were 314th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And you just take a look at how things shook out from a standings perspective. And, well, Valparaiso did not have a good season, so they can their coach. But Evansville, a poultry 1-19 and within the conference. They went 5-27 and overall, and they covered just 30% of their games. They were a big, giant anchor to the Missouri Valley Conference last season as they were going through a little bit of a coaching change, so there were some... Big-time reasons that did lead to Evansville just not having a great year. But fortunately for them, there were teams like Tulsa out there to really master stinkitude as they had the fifth worst against the spread record in all of college basketball last year. Loyola Chicago, UW-Green Bay, Georgia State, and Tulsa were the teams that had a worse against the spread record. But we've got a little bit of a change in conference with regards to tempo. But when it comes to this conference as well, it's either you can shoot threes or you cannot. I know that that sounds like, ah, oh, you've got just random teams out there in general, but there are some teams that they put so much emphasis on the defensive side of things, like Drake. They were a top 25 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and I mean, they were a solid offensive team, but it's not like they were necessarily going bombs away from three-point range. When it comes to the Drake Bulldogs, they were right around 50th in the country in terms of three-point shooting and actually shot 34.5% for three at home, 38% on the road But Belmont. They were one of your more rough defenses in the conference. They were actually fifth in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Evansville just had nothing whatsoever, they were 275th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage, but you saw very much a hodgepodge amount of results when it comes to three-point shooting within this conference and within the conferences as well. It is known a little bit more for their defense, but... As I just alluded to a little bit before, we have seen a little bit of a changing of the guard within the conference. That has been due to a few of the coaching hirings that we've been seeing in recent years. But on top of that, it is because of realignment. And if you take a look back to last season, two teams played more unders than overs. Drake, 19-unders of 15-overs. Missouri State, 19-unders, 12-overs. Missouri State, by the way. Bottom 25 team in terms of total possessions per game. Bradley was even. Steven, 17-overs, 17-unders. Everyone else played more overs than unders last season, including six different teams hitting at least 58% to the over. Belmont-Murray State both went 18 overs to 13 unders. They were the two newcomers, Valparaiso, 19 overs to 12 unders. That's because they couldn't play defense at all. Illinois State, 20 overs to 11 unders, lots of moving pieces. Couldn't play defense at all. Northern Iowa, 19 overs, 11 unders, and a push. I think a lot of that is because we're still used to Northern Illinois being like a bottom 30 team in terms of total possessions per game, and they've turned over a new leaf. And then Evansville, 20 overs to 12 unders. Once again, putrid defense. So that explains a lot of those. And if you're looking at just within conference as well, because these are games that you take into account after you year, we'll see just non-conference play in general, just two teams, played either 50% or fewer of their games to the over. As You had two teams at 52.2%, which is pretty much your break-even mark. You had Indiana State and Bradley have 12 overs to 11 unders, and then you had Southern Illinois. 11 overs, 10 unders, and a push as well, so 52.4%, that pretty much is a break-even mark, and then everyone else had at least 57% the over last season, that would obviously be Drake and Missouri State, the same teams that were solid to the under as well, and these were the two teams that really were the best on defense, in my opinion, in the conference, Sans bradley Bradley was also very good on defense, but they also had good versatility, and they were a team that was right there, right around 500 with regards to the overs and the unders, but you also do take a look at the Valley, and the biggest thing that really ailed this conference is that Teams had a little bit of a tough time being able to have their game translate and be able to do a solid job on the road. This is going to include conference games and non-conference games, but these teams on the road, you had one team cover more than 46.2% of their games on the road. Indiana State. Indiana State is a team that I think that was a little bit under the radar, undervalued because they had been completely banged up the last few years. Nine and four against the spread on the road and then... You had all these teams at 33% or fewer of their games on the road. Illinois State, 4-8 and eight against the spread on the road. Drake, 4-8 and eight against the spread on the road. Valparaiso, 4-9 and 1 against the spread. Evansville, 4-10 and 1 against the spread. Murray State, 4-10 and ten against the spread. I do think that there were a lot of people that were thinking that Belmont and Murray State might elevate the conference a little bit more as well. And both of those schools, they were in a little bit of transition. They were caught at a little bit of a rough time. It's not like you had John ja Morant. Going for Murray State, it's not like you had some of those first-round picks going for Belmont, though I will say Ben Shepherd. He was actually a first-round pick as well, but he was a little bit more without a lot around it, but many of those pieces are going to be returning, so it is a very fascinating conference, it is one that I think is going to be back with a little bit of a vengeance after last season they were probably a little bit valued as in non-conference play, only two teams were able to cover more than 50% of their games in very state, 5-4 and four against the spread out of conference, and UIC, Illinois Chicago, went 8-2 against the spread out of conference, they had actually lost Jamari Franklin, their top scorer to Memphis prior to the start of the season and I think that that's why they came in a little bit undervalued. Everyone else, they either hit 500 against the spread out of conference. Evansville and Belmont, they both went five and five against the spread out of conference or they were below 500. So I do expect a little bit more out of this conference, as you're going to find out in segment number two, there's quite a few returning pieces to a lot of these teams. The Missouri Valley Conference, it is an old conference, and it's one that Kevin Sweeney absolutely loves. We're going to be taking a look at all these rosters with him next. Right here on Coast to with myself, Greg Epps Peterson, and now I'll start a part of a family podcast. The Missouri Valley Conference for you. Today.
3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Are you ready to become a winning sports bettor? Schedule a call with SBIA
4: to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units' return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports.
0: are
2: back here Las Vegas. For with myself, Greg Eames and Now a part of the Visa Family and Podcast, we are rallying for the Missouri Valley and It is always great to be joined by this man, Kevin Sweeney. He does absolutely amazing work taking a look at the great game of college basketball. He is one of the main men that you're able to find over there at Sports Illustrated, taking a look at this great sport, takes a look at college basketball, the NBA draft, and so much more. man that is based out there in the Midwest, a man that you're able to follow on Twitter at CBB underscore central. Kevin, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you.
4: Appreciate it, Greg. Thanks for having me on.
2: Thank you for joining me, Kevin, and Kevin, I did mention it. You are out there in the great Midwest and the great state of Illinois. So how about if we start out in that state? Illinois State, they've had a rough last few seasons to say the least, but they actually do return quite a bit from last year. It's something like a Darius Burford It's someone that I'm actually quite bullish on. Took a look at this Illinois State team, and there are some good attributes to this team. They were one of the top free-throw shooting teams at all of college basketball last year. The brother of Johnny Davis, Jordan Davis, is going to be coming in along with Brandon Leib. He's a seven-footer. That was over at Illinois. Need to take care of the ball, but I do think that there's some upside with Illinois State. Maybe to not be like a top contender or anything like that, but I actually feel like things are getting better with this program.
4: Yeah, it feels like they're a piece or two away, and maybe one of these transfers can, can, can do it. You mentioned Davis, who... I think always more looked like a Missouri Valley player than a Big 10 guy, but he's long and athletic and can make a shot and then up front with Lee but also with Miles Foster who comes in from Monmouth like a big wide-bodied forward who can score around the basket, lefty with a little bit of touch. I mean, he's a good player. I think this team's probably still missing some star power. And I'm not sure any of those guys really provides that, but you know, I think this team should be competitive, should probably be in closer to the to mid-pack than it was a season ago and just look for consistent growth under Ryan Peden and also I think some hope that maybe some of these young players I think in particular a guy like Ty Pence who I know is a local recruit for them meant a lot for them to land him I'm interested to see what he's able to do in year one and how much of a piece and a building block moving forward he blossoms into
2: I'm right there with you I do think that there is quite a bit of upside with those guys not necessarily to necessarily be one of the top teams in the conference but at the same time be able to take some strides forward and Strides forward is exactly what Evansville is hoping for as well because it was a rough year for them last year. They were in the bottom 60 in terms of both points scored and points allowed on a per possession basis, and in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they were 359th. They actually do return a few of their top players from last year, some like Kenny Strawbridge. So they would give the team 14 points per contest. You seen Tumi? I always say that name wrong. He was able to do a relatively okay job down line. Cameron Hafner actually had an okay end of the season while he was at Eastern Illinois. Final 11 games, averaged about 11 and 11.5 points per game. I think they're a little bit better than they were last year, but I still think we're staring at a rough year for Evansville.
4: It was a long-term project when Rags took the job. I don't think that's changed. and I think, obviously, the NIL climate makes it even a little bit more difficult because you need a ton of help you don't have necessarily the resources to get it you know what do you have to sell you don't have more money than your competitors you don't have winning right like you have of time and that's that's about it uh i know they're really excited about the point guard they're bringing in chuck bailey one time highly tired of who kind of faded but i think if evansville any optimism kind of stems from all right can bailey produce right away can hafner be a, a building block you add him to Strawbridge, all of a sudden you have an okay backcourt. And and if that's the case, you have a chance to win games. But it's not going to be pretty regardless, right? But, you know, looking for for some sort of int- incremental growth here in year two under David Ragland.
2: Yep, I agree with you. As you joining me on the show, we've got Kevin Sweeney. He does great work over at Sports Illustrated taking a look at the amazing game of college basketball. And then when it comes to UIC... I just feel like we should have seen a little bit more growth with this team the last few years because I really loved Luke Yockledge when he was an assistant for Michigan. He was one of the masterminds of that defense that led them to the 2018 national title game. And I mean the defense actually towards the front half of the season last year looked solid and then went straight down the toilet bowl. I looked at someone like Stephen Clay. I know that he was a guy that was very solid at Menominee Falls. In high school, 247 Sports had him one of the top guys in the state of Wisconsin a few years ago. That's big. They do bring in Isaiah Rivera. I think that Isaiah Rivera is someone that has a little bit of upside in bringing back Toby Okani. He was a six foot eight, little bit of a combo player that was able to put up double figures for the scene. But it just has felt like a band of misfit pieces. And once again, I just go back to the defense of Luke Yakovich.
4: I expected it to be a little bit better the last few seasons. They've just been torched with roster turnover. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think if Yaklish could do it again, he would have went more built around freshmen early in his tenure because I think he kind of swung for the fences to flip it quick. And when that didn't happen, now he's just been on this kind of a hamster wheel of having to continue to recruit transfers, having to, you know, in some cases recruit guys that I don't think really necessarily fit him but you don't have time now to rebuild. This is coming into year four. And if this doesn't end well, I think that's what you'll look back on is that he tried to be too good, too fast. It didn't work. And now he didn't have building blocks. So I actually like them from two to four. Um, Marquise Kennedy from Loyola Chicago was a guy who's had an up and down career, but can really defend four years in a winning program. You know, been a part of some, some terrific teams. And I think a guy who can help them at a high level. Rivera, you mentioned from Colorado State, another guy who's been extremely well coached, can score. I think he's a guy allowed Average probably 12, 14 points a game and the Missouri Valley, excuse me, and then O'Connor, a nice athlete. But the front court's a little thin, and the point guard spot is a bit of a question. Are they have Ethan King coming in, but worry at that spot where they turn. So I think I'll be towards the bottom again, more than likely, but you know, maybe two in-state kids in Kennedy and Rivera can elevate this thing a little bit. Just just been hard with the lack of continuity. I mean, think about the guys that they've lost and, and lose Jace Carter this offseason was obviously a big deal, big-time wing who could score it off the Texas A&M. They just haven't been able to consistently year over year have the same pieces. And I think when you're trying to build something defense first, it's really hard when you're having to teach so much every offseason.
2: Oh, no question about it. It has been a rough last few seasons for them and. When you've got players going in and out, as you mentioned, that makes it very difficult. And this is going to be a roster that they do lose their top three scorers and I believe their top three rebounders as well. That'd be Indiana State. But I just give Josh Schertz at this point the benefit of the doubt. He did it at the D2 level with Lincoln Memorial. He has lost quite a few of those guys that did follow him up from the D2 ranks, but he brings back Julian Larry, someone who's very versatile. He's able to give you some scoring. He's able to do a good job of towing out the ball. And I do think that he found guys that do a very good job of being able to fit his system. Some like a Jake Wolf coming in from more state. Very good three point shooter. Isaiah Swope. He was at the D2 level with Southern Indiana, who was able to come up to the D1 level a few seasons ago as well. Some like a Ryan Cornwall. I think is solid as well. I think that there's going to be a bit of a drop off. For Indiana State, but if there's a list of coaches I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt on when it comes to the Missouri Valley Conference, obviously, the man over there, at Drake and Mr. Darren DeVries is one of them, but I take a look at Josh Schertz and he's really become a trustworthy coach, in my opinion.
4: He's a monster on the offensive end, just a tremendous offensive mind. As you said, they lost a lot of the shot making, right, with with Carvasia McCully and Cooper Nice. But I think the heartbeat of this offense remains, and that's obviously Schertz's mind. But then Larry setting things up in the backcourt and Robbie Avila and his ability to pass up front. And Avila was one of the best young players in mid-major basketball last year. There's certainly been some comparisons made. The Cameron Crutwig, who was at Loyola Chicago and was great in the Missouri Valley when Loyola was in that league. But you look at him, he doesn't pass the eye test, but... I mean just such an incredible passer and 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 a gifted gifted post player fun to watch and I think has a huge future out of him. They're going to need a big year from him. Conwell's a guy that was a big time scorer in high school in Indianapolis, had a few bright moments, and South Florida, I think, finds his level here and a better fit. Swope can obviously score the basketball. So I'm optimistic here. And, and I know I think they're probably waiting on a waiver for Aaron Gray from Niagara. I don't know if that's an official, like, needs a waiver or a grad situation, but he is a, a multi time transfer. But he's a guy that I think also has a chance to make a pretty big impact, like a longer wing who. Can create offense for himself at at the three or the four. I think that's a nice pickup for shirts sure under the radar as well.
2: Yep, I do think that that's a good spot under the radar pickup as well. And for Valparaiso, I do think that they did a nice job of picking up Coach Roger Powell. It was very clear that the Matt era just did not go well for Valparaiso. They were monsters when it came to being in the Rising League. They just have not been able to find their footing here in the Missouri Valley Conference with Roger Powell. I know that. He did tremendous work while he was an assistant over at Gonzaga a few seasons ago, so this is a guy that he knows how to be able to win games, was a part of a winning culture, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a project. They do have some size, someone like a Jerome Palm returning is very good. Luau Maying hopefully I said that correctly, he's a very solid center as well, but this team just simply had no three-point shooting last year, and I just take a look at the roster this year, and I have no idea where the outside shooting is going to come from once again.
4: They've gone young here. This is not a flip it in the portal in one year situation. And They think they went a little juco, and and I know they took Mon Young from Hofstra, but he's, I think, a three- or a four-year guy as well. This is long-term, and you're hoping... You work your way down the roster. Jahari Williamson, who played for the U19 team for Canada. Can he show something as a, as a long-term piece in the backcourt? Can Cooper Schweiger and Lucas Scroggins, guys with upside, can they, can they impact things? And then longer-term transfers. You mentioned Man as well as, I'm going to butcher this one. Boye. He was at, I think, Central Michigan, big-time athlete, gifted defender at the three and the four. They need those types of guys to be building blocks, retain them, and then hit the 2024 high school class hard. This is not a quick flip. This is not a we're going to win in year one. This is what can we do long term with some of these pieces? And I think Roger has the right idea. We just have to see him in action.
2: Yep, this is clearly a baby step sort of approach that Valparaiso is taking. As Joining me on the show, we've got Kevin Sweeney. He does great work over at SI taking a look at the game of basketball and with Missouri State Needless to say, this is not going to be a team that's going to be finding themselves in a whole bunch of shootouts, but I liked what I saw from the team last year. They did a very good job of being able to hit the transfer portal last offseason, and they've been able to retain a lot of those guys. Some like an Alston Mason, who began his career at the power six level. I expect him to be very solid for the team. Donovan Clay six foot eighty. Doesn't necessarily do one thing great, but he does a lot of things very solid. Dallin Rignol, I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job this year as well. He's right around six foot seven, has some nice versatility there. You've got a bunch of guys that are very unselfish. They do a good job of fitting the boards. If there is one thing with the seam, he's got to be better at the free throw line. As last year, they were on the worst teams at all of college basketball at that respect. But all in all, I take a look at Missouri State and. I don't know if they're going to be contending with the likes of Drake and Company when it comes to the top of this conference, but they are not a team that you want to play against with that slow, grimy, defense-oriented style.
4: You know, I think through their heart two through four, I like I like what they have. You mentioned Richinall and Mason, Chance Moore, Donovan Clay. Like they've got guys that I think are really talented for this league and have some versatility point guard spot. I know Matthew Lee was their starter early last year, then tore the ACL. He should be back. That's a big deal. Lee was really the heart and soul of the St. Peter's team that went to the lead eight. I know he wasn't a big time scorer, but really, really guards gets down in the stance, tough, tough kid. I think he'll help them culturally. And then, Up front, they added Caesar Edwards from Xavier, who didn't really play. but was a top 150 recruit, really, really skilled offensive player. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do. It just kind of feels like they've been stuck in the mud, haven't quite been able to elevate to, you know, at-large level or conference championship level good under Dana, but also have not... You know, been bad enough to really push him to the hot seat. This is an interesting year. I think it probably feels like more of the same, but if it goes one direction versus another, it could uh, swing his fate quite a bit.
2: Yep, it certainly could. And then I think a lot of people, when they think of the Missouri Valley Conference, they think of Drake and the fact that they made the NCAA tournament. But the team that actually won the regular season last year was Bradley out there in the great state of Illinois. And for Bradley, they bring back Malevi Leons, who I absolutely love. Eleven point six points, 6 boards, 1.5 steals, 1.5 blocks per contest. They do lose a few guys like Rink Mass. That is going to be a big loss, but... Duke Dean, really love his game as well. And then under the radar, a Marion Ellis was a former top 100 freshman recruit of Marquette. Just really didn't get out there on the floor the last few years. He's a guy that's coming into the fold. I do think that with the loss of Rink Bass, that's going to be a little bit tough. But Trey Pettigrew is someone that goes under the radar. He's a top 250 recruit as well. Bradley on paper has once again a top three roster, in my opinion. Once again, that mass loss, I think, is so big. But all in all, I think that Bradley... Brought in really good guys in the portal, and they retained quite a bit from that team last year that was so solid on defense.
4: Yeah, I mean, Brian Wardle is consistent. I mean, he's a very good coach. This team will be competitive near the top of the conference. I think it lacks a little bit of the firepower it had last year, and they didn't have a ton of it last year. But to lose Mast, who was a guy who could could score on the low block, and then to also lose Jayshon Henry, who was a consistent five-year contributor. I think that hurts. You know, Leons is a nice player, but he's not a guy you really build an offense around, or at least hasn't been yet. In the backcourt, Dean and Connor Hickman, again, good players, but they aren't guys that I necessarily just want to say like that's the heartbeat of my offense so they're gonna to have to double down defensively I think Darius Hanna can help them protect the rim I'm excited about some of these younger guys you mentioned Pettigrew and Ellis I'd mention as well Almar Atlasson who's a really big time European recruit he's a guy who I think could make an impact before all said and done so to me it's like can they score enough to really win a conference championship can they can they be consistent enough on that end of the floor if they can be I think they have a real shot
2: yep I think so as well with Bradley you know that they are going to defend as John- On the show, we've got Kevin Sweeney. You know that he is going to provide great analysis every time he joins this podcast, and what you can expect from this team at Belmont is really good offense. Fifth in the country last year in three-point shooting percentage, but they do lose Ben Shepherd, who unexpectedly became a first-round prospect in the NBA draft. He really had a rise during that, but they bring back Kate Tyson. Kate Tyson, as a freshman last year, was tremendous. Sean nearly forty-two percent for three. He's got good size, good versatility. You'd like to see this team be a little bit better on the on the glass, and I think that Malik Dia, who comes in for Vanderbilt at six foot nine, he's going to be able to help out with that as well. And then. When you bring back Jacoby Gillespie and Keyshawn Davidson, a pair of guys that combine average about 2.3 steals and 7.7 assists per game, that's a really good base to be able to build your backcourt around. And then the D2 transfer as well, Jace Willingham, 16-point-per-game score. I take a look at Belmont, and there's nice pieces around them. I think the big key is... Can they just be a little bit better on the glass? Because that was their main kryptonite last season.
4: Yeah, Dia gives them much more of a presence down low than I think they've had, which is a big deal. And it's going to be hard to replicate offensively what Shepard gave you, but Casey Alexander's a tremendous X and O's coach. I mean, kind of similar to Josh Shirk's. Like, they're going to be really good on the offensive end just because of the stuff that they run and the fact that they have really skilled players, right? Kate Tyson is the next big-time Belmont player, whether he transfers up or he stays four years. Like, that is a guy that is going... To make a huge impact in college basketball, his brother Hunter Tyson just a draft pick by by the Denver Nuggets, and then Davidson and Gillespie in the backcourt. Even like Isaiah Walker was a kid that I thought in like ten minutes game last year, long, athletic, slashing guard. I think has a chance to be really, really good. So I'm in again on Belmont. Keith Alexander is probably one of the more underrated coaches in the country. I mean, think about what he did at Lipscomb. Won 29 games one year. Went to an NCAA tournament. Went to the Final four of NIT moves up to the Valley last year with Belmont, despite losing some pretty big pieces and does not miss a beat, wins 21 games, goes 14 and six in the league. Like I think the world of Casey Alexander is a coach and the numbers don't lie. I mean, 26, 26, 25 and 21 wins and four years at Belmont before that 29, 23, 20 his previous three at Lipscomb. This is a terrific program and a terrific coach. And I think there's enough talent here to say that this is a top five-ish team in the Valley once again.
2: I think we've got one of the biggest rarities in all of college basketball with this next team. Northern Iowa, if I see this correctly, hopefully I have my roster straight. They return everyone that averaged at least one point per game last season. I do not know how that is possible in the same age of college basketball. Truth be told, for Northern Iowa, it was not a good year last year 14 and 18, 9 and 11 in the Missouri Valley. You expect more out of Northern Iowa, but if there is one thing that Northern Iowa is going for them, chemistry is tremendous. They don't bring in really anyone in terms of the transfer portal or anything like that. Hunter Jacobson, obviously, in relation to the coach, Ben Jacobson, he's going to be coming into the program. But for Northern Iowa, this is a year where I feel like it's a little bit more of a put-up or shut-up year because they bring back all those talented players Boenborn, Tate, and Boeing Boreham, Tate, Anderson. And if Nathan Heisey doesn't get hurt last year, who knows where the team goes?
4: Right. You get Heise healthy. This is a program that does kind of turn back the clock. They will develop kids. They guys get better in this program. So I'm inclined to think that Northern Iowa is going to be right there to win this league. You know, the question really is at the five. You no, know, Austin Fife has dealt with some really difficult medical stuff coming off of long COVID. Didn't play last year, was dealing with it two years ago. He's still with the program from what I've gathered, but. What he will actually do basketball-wise this year is somewhat unknown, but they did beef up a little bit on the interior with Jacob Hudson, who was at Loyola Chicago. You know, he was a starter for a good percentage of the final year in the Valley team and then kind of fell out of favor last year. I don't know that he's like a huge difference maker, but he's solid enough to play on the interior and, you know, be a post-president they didn't have. They also got Wes Rubin from Chicago, Simeon High School, another guy who is a little bit tougher, a little bit more physical up front. They're built around the growth from guys like Campbell and Heisey and Titan Anderson, and obviously the best guard in the league in Bowen Bourne. But, you know, if they can be more solid up front, whether that's from, you know, Fife getting healthy, you know, hopefully, or Hudson, something like that, they just need a little bit more at that five spot to take a step up.
2: Yep, absolutely. It's just absolutely incredible when I see all that chemistry coming back. And then when it comes to this program, They've got quite a bit coming back because the coach's son is back. And we're talking about Drake, the team that made the NCAA tournament. And the Miami run to the final four doesn't happen if Drake closes out in the final five minutes of that game. They had him on the ropes. They just could not score in those final few minutes, but I like what Drake does have coming back. That'd be Tucker DeVries, one of the top mid-major players in all of college basketball. Heck, one of the top players in all of college basketball. 18.5 points, 5.5 boards. I felt like playing him off the ball a little bit more in his sophomore year rather than the freshman campaign. That was big, but they do lose Roman Penn, who was really the heartbeat of that offense, a guy that was able to give the team five and a half assists per contest. But all in all, I look at this Drake team, and I mentioned coaches I give the benefit of the doubt to. Darian DeVries always gets that from me. This team was tremendous at not allowing opponents to be able to get second chances. They bring in Ethan Roberts, who was tremendous over at Army, 12 and a half points, shot 40% from three. Aiden Wright from CSUN is tremendous. Karan Gibson He's coming in from UT Arlington as well. I feel like they might be a little bit more rough down low, but bringing back Darnell Brody along with Carlos Rosario is a good place to start. And I just can't question DeVries at this point. I like Drake to be able to be, once again, if not the number one team in the conference, a top two team.
4: Yeah, Brody's been big for them. His arrival has coincided with Drake taking off as a program under DeVries. And he's got one more year. Him and Tucker... At the four and the five is a pretty great combo. I like Ethan Roberts a lot. He's a big-time shooter, you know, Patriot League, rookie of the year type guy. I do have some questions at point guard, like where, where do they go, right? Is it Gibson? Is it putting the ball in the hands of, uh, of of Wright, who you mentioned, who's more of a, more of a scorer? Or do they go to Connor Enright, who played a lot last year, but it was a lower usage role because they had so many veterans around him. Just curious kind of how that whole rotation shakes out. But I think they did a really nice job of retooling and rebuilding and keeping the fact that you have the best player in the league keeping the fact that you have the most experienced five man in the league and saying all right like what can we do around him i think they did enough to be right there for the league championship once again
2: i am in total agreement with you as kevin sweeney does tremendous work over at sports illustrated is joining me right here on cusco suits for the missouri valley conference preview edition and the question that i've got with this team is defense because with murray state they return a lot of their top scorers from last season. Rob Perry was tremendous for the team. He was able to put up 14 and half points per contest. You've got a Murray State team, that all in all. They've got a bunch of really good, sharp shooters. What stood out to be about Murray State, though, is that if you look at raw points allowed on a per-possession basis last year, they were 282nd in the country. That's a little bit of a red flag for me, but you're bringing back Jacoby Wood, who He's got a lot of familiarity with this conference along with the OVC, began his career at Belmont. Sean Walker Jr. is someone that I'm banking on to be able to have a relatively nice season. They've got a lot of guys that are six foot six, six foot seven, good versatility. They don't necessarily have that one true post presence, especially with Jamari Smith now being out of the fold as well. How do you view this Murray State team? Because I think for Murray State, the question isn't the offense. The question is, are they going to be able to be up a little bit more this season?
4: I kind of was expecting one big fish this spring. We never really got it. You know, Perry's a nice returner. You mentioned Wood, Brian Moore as well. Like They've got a little bit of continuity in the backcourt. And then Sean Walker as well, a good wing. Nick Ellington, I think, will help them a little bit. But it feels like we're missing something. I, I kind of pencil this team right in the middle. I respect Steve Prohm quite a bit. My former, I feel the 68 colleague, I think he does a really nice job. And I thought all things considered did a really nice job to keep them competitive and over 500 in year one. But As you said, the defense has got to get better, and I'm just not necessarily sure that they accomplished that. Maybe Ellington, as more of a traditional center instead of D.J. Burns, gets a little bit of growth there, but I do have some concerns about how much this team's ceiling really rises in here.
2: And I've got concerns with this final team as well. It's a team that is in your state of Illinois. That'd be Southern Illinois, and the big reason why I have concerns is that they had two guys that averaged more than seven points per game last season, and Lance Jones and Marcus Domask. They are both gone. And Marcus Sobask, I mean, this guy was the heart and soul of the team. He led the team in points. He led the team in rebounds. He led the team in assists. The only thing he really didn't lead the team in was steals. That was actually Lance Jones, who's out of the fold. Xavier Johnson now. It's averaging right around seven points per game. And a guy that I liked at George Mason shot it well from three last year. He now really needs to take on a new role for the team. They bring in someone like a Jared Hensley. I think that he's going to be able to give them a little bit of something. And they've added a little bit of size from last season, but they're going to need someone like a Clarence Rupert, who is a part of that Elite A team over at St. Peter's. To really take some strides forward, they're going to need R.J. McGee to come in and instantly give this team a nice impact in the backcourt as well. I do have questions with Southern Illinois losing their top two scorers and demonstratively by far their top two scorers from last year.
4: That's a big year for for Brian Mullins. Did not get extended this spring after a 23-win year, different AD than who hired him. I think he's done a nice job at SIU, but it doesn't feel comfortable. And with a new team, it feels like there's some pressure to at least be competitive this year. I just don't know that they have enough firepower. Like all these pieces I'm okay with, right? Like I like the RJ McGee addition, rotation player on a top 100 lane team. I like Jared Hensley. He's, you know, always was kind of a Valley level contributor. He's long, he's tough. You know, I think we'll help them around the basket. But I look around, I'm like, who's, who's putting the ball in the basket? Maybe it's Trey Miller. Maybe it's, you know, someone like Trent Brown, but there's a lot of question marks. Maybe a freshman steps up. I know Sheridan Sharp was a big like late stock rising kid from the state of Indiana, was originally committed to Nichols State, opens up after the coaching change, it gets a lot of interest. But I think it's probably going to take someone like that to really help this team take a next step. Because otherwise, I'm just not sure where the offense is coming
2: from. Yep, I'm right there with you. You know that with Southern Illinois, they're going to be playing that slow, grimy style. They're going to be rock solid on defense. But yeah, two guys that averaged more than seven points per game last season. They're both out of the pool. The Marcus Somask, as I alluded to, led the team in darn near everything. So there are some question marks there. There's no question marks when it comes to this man, though, as Kevin Sweeney, one of the best in the business of being able to take a look at the game of college basketball. Kevin, you do absolutely tremendous work taking a look on so many fronts. This great game that we all know and love. So love the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms
4: yeah just check out all our stuff over at sports illustrated summer content just got back from summer league and peach jam back to back so deciding to take a little bit of time here and start gearing up for for conference preview season
2: absolutely kevin does a tremendous job taking a look at this great game that we all know and love and every single time he joins this podcast One's tremendous insights, much like he did today. Big thanks to Kevin Sweeney for joining me on Coast Cousin's part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, is That Time the Podcast Thank you my projector or finish for the Missouri
0: Valley Conference.
3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field.
2: Everybody to lovey Las Vegas for Ghosts and with myself, Greg Up Peterson. and now part of the VSN family. podcast was great to be able to get our good friend in Kevin Sweeney aboard. He does an amazing job taking a look at the game of college basketball. Truly is a man that rallies for the Missouri Valley. Does a great job taking a look at this conference and so many conferences all across college basketball. A indispensable source of information when it comes to college basketball and always appreciate his time. Thank you so much to Kevin for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They do give you my projector or a finish. For the Missouri Valley Conference now, because I am doing a college basketball conference preview today, that means that any of the news that we saw in college basketball on Saturday that is going to be cleaned up on Sunday, I know that Gonzaga made a little bit of a move in the transfer portal, so you're going to be getting all sorts of reaction there, and let's get reaction as to what we're going to be getting in the Valley, and... In dead last, my projector or finished, I am going to be going with Valparaiso. It was a tough call between they and Evansville, but for Roger Powell, he is starting from square one. I actually think that Pat Baldwin, who we remember, he was just a failure of a coach over at UW-Milwaukee. He's so a part of that coaching staff with Powell, who comes over from Gonzaga. I do think that that's a relatively okay coaching staff. I just have no idea where the guard play is going to be coming from. You're relying upon Darius DeViero to really be doling out the ball right now. He and Joe Vick are your main guards. And you just don't really have a lot of guys on the roster with a lot of experience. Like Sherman Witherspoon the fourth is someone that could immediately be seeing some meaningful minutes. And that is not a place where you want to be. They really didn't bring out... Anyone via the transfer portal that'll be able to help them out in the backcourt. They bring in Luol Myung He comes in from Hofstra, and he should be able to help out down low I do think that that is going to be something that immediately is able to give them a little bit of something highly touted 6 foot 10 guy and you do bring in Jerome Palm as well Palm someone that was able to do a very solid job down low, but he's averaging right around three or four points per contest Valparaiso, as it was, was an incredibly poor three-point shooting team last year. You lose Kobe King, you lose Ben Cricky from last season, you just lose all of the main contributors from this team. Quentin Green, he was able to give the team 10.5 points per game, he has set, decided to stick with it, but he's really the lone guy that returns that average more than about 4.5 points per contest. He could get a little bit of something out of Connor Barrett, who was able to shoot about 35% from three-point range, average four points per contest, but... All in all, rough situation to be in. Valparaiso, I do have them dead last in terms of my projector finish. At number 10, I'm going to be going for Evansville. Evansville was a bottom 10 team in all of college basketball last year when it came to points scored on a per-possession basis, but I know that Kevin was talking about this as well. Bringing in someone like a Jack Bailey III who was rated as the number five freshman recruit from the state of Michigan for the class of 2023. That's a good place to start. You're bringing in Kentucky Wesleyan transfer Antonio Thomas, who he was able to do a solid job shooting about 41% from three-point range at the Don D1 level last year. You've got some size on this roster. Siku Kale, he's ten. He was able to put up right around four rebounds for contest. And Cameron Hafner, I recognize that seven and a half points per game on forty-three percent three-point shooting out of Eastern Illinois that doesn't necessarily elicit a lot of fear. But last eleven games with Eastern Illinois, he actually shot forty-four percent from the outside, eleven and a half points per game. That's big for a team that was three hundred fifty-fifth of the country in terms of free throw shooting percentage. You also bring back Kenny Strawbridge, who was the team's main scorer of fourteen and a half points per contest. You seen Toomey; he was able to give you about six rebounds and a steal per contest as well. He's got good six foot nine, six foot ten size. So I do think that there's a little bit. of upside when it comes to this Evansville team. Not a ton. I don't think that this is a case where Evansville is all of a sudden going to be lighting it up and they're going to be some sort of like a top five team or anything like that, but there's something to be able to build around here. So I do have them number 11 avoiding the cellar in terms of my projector finish. At number 10 in my projector finish, I'm going with Southern Illinois. I do think that Mr. Mullins at the... Helm is very much on the hot seat right now, and I mean, the biggest thing for Southern Illinois, and the reason why I've got them so low is that Marcus Domask was the heart and soul of this team. He led the team in points, rebounds. I believe that he was one of the top players in terms of assists. I mean, he did everything. They had... Two guys that averaged north of 7.5 points per game last season and none of them returned, which means that Xavier Johnson is going to need to really be the main guy for this offense. And for Xavier Johnson, he was solid while he was at George Mason last season. He took a little bit of a backseat when it came to the overall scoring, but... All in all, I do think that he's going to be able to come in. He's going to be able to do a relatively solid job, would be able to give this team a double-figure amount of points once again. I do think that there's a little bit of upside there, but you're really banking on R.J. McGee coming in and just absolutely lighting the world on fire for R.J. McGee. Last season while he was at Tulane, he saw a few starts. Overall for his career, he's about a 32% three-point shooter, averaged four and a half points, three rebounds per contest. as a 6'5", do-it-all sort of player. And for Clarence Rupert, he was a part of that St. Peter's team that did go to the Elite Eight. He's got a little bit of size, but really didn't show that last season. You don't necessarily have that one guy that you look to and you say, oh, he's gonna average six plus rebounds per game. I think that they're really banking on Trent Brown having a big year. For Trent Brown last season, did pretty much a whole lot of nothing. He only gave you about three points per contest and he's really descended. After during the 2020-21 season, he put up seven points, gave you a seal per contest, shot 39% for three, showed real promise and upside. This last year, he didn't do a whole lot of anything. For Southern Illinois, this is a team that is going to be able to play some very rock-solid defense, but at the same time, I've got massive question marks with them as well, so as a result, Southern Illinois, I do have them number 10 in terms of my projector or finish. At number nine in my projector finish, I'm going to be going with Illinois State. I do think that there's a lot of upside with Illinois State being able to retain a lot of their guys from last season. And I do think that Jordan Davis was able to average right around five points per contest last season over at Wisconsin. That's going to be a big time add for this team. But I do wonder what Brandon Lieb, the seven footer that comes in from Illinois, is going to be able to do. You've got Horana Sissoko, who is a six foot seven, a little bit of a joker player. I think that he's going to be able to do an okay job. But the biggest thing for Illinois State... They still really don't have a lot of outside shooting. Jordan Davis coming in is going to be able to help a little bit, but I also note that Kendall Lewis just fell off the face of planet Earth towards the second half of the season as well. For Kendall Lewis, it was looking like this guy was gonna put up some Mondo numbers last year. He came out of the gates. He was putting up like 15 plus points per contest. Then I mean, through the first month, month and a half of the season, he was averaging darn near a double-double. And then from there, he just really hit a little bit of a wall. You take a look at things from December 10th on, he was averaging in the neighborhood of about 9.8 points. He was able to put in there seven rebounds per contest. Prior to that, he had a blistering first 10 games in which he was averaging right around eight boards, 1.3 blocks, nearly two steals per contest with 13.5 points per game. So his fall off was very big. Darius Burford coming back for the team, I think is something that is mondo as well. He was the top scorer last year, being able to put the biscuit in the basket with right around 13 points per contest, but losing Seneca Knight in that backcourt, that is really the big loss for the team because he was sort of that joker player, gave you 12.5 points, was able to pull the ball a little bit, six boards, shot 40% for three, and this is an Illinois State team that last year they were right around 210th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. Now, very good free-throw shooting team, that's something that you're able to rely upon as each of their top six scorers last year shot at least 76% of the free-throw line, and they bring back all but two of them, including Malachi Poindexter, who shot 94.5% of the charity stripe, 9.5 points per game, but you just need that one creator for this team. They didn't have anyone that averaged more than 2.5 assists per game, I just don't know if they're going to have that presence, even with someone like a Miles Foster coming in from Monmouth. So this is a scenario where I did have to put Illinois State number nine in terms of my projector finish. And number eight, I do have to go with the flames of UIC. With UIC, I do think that there's a little bit of upside with this program as for UIC, all in all, It has been a mess in recent seasons, and you do lose your top two scores from a season ago. But the good news for UIC is that they did actually a really good job in the transfer portal. Isaiah Rivera is someone I like. Average 8.5 points, 3.7 boards per contest at Colorado State last year. A career 39.7% three-point shooter. That'll elevate the team. And Tyler Stevenson, I think, could be one of the real gems when it comes to mid-major transfers. As last season, he was just buried on the Mississippi State bench two seasons ago at Southern Miss. 14.5 points, 7.5 boards, a block per contest. So you've got upside there, Yusuf Salia. He's a guy that comes in from Idaho, shot about 35% from three-point range, averaging about 6.5 points per game. This was laid out by Kevin Sweeney, Marquise Kennedy. He was a starter for a few years over at Loyal Chicago. So this is someone that has been in big spots before, but losing those top two scorers from last year, that puts a lot on Toby O'Connor. Who was able to do a nice job, giving you 11 points, seven boards, two and a half assists per contest, and Philip Sabajé? Hopefully, I said that correctly. I'm sure that I did not. I apologize to Philip, but he shot 36.5 percent from three. Good versatility at right around six foot seven, six foot eight. He's able to give you nine points per contest. I do have some issues with the depth, though. This is a bunch that they were. <laughs> Outside of the top 325 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis last year, I feel like the offense is going to be quite a bit better this year, but I also feel like the defense is going to be falling off quite a bit as well. So it's a little bit of a horse of situation, and I do think that they're going to be one of those teams that they're just sort of stuck in no-man's land in this conference, as for Luke Jokic, he's just had a tough time really finding that one guy that's able to have the ball in his hands and is able to distribute as well. So as a result, I do have... UIC at number eight in terms of my projector or finish. At number seven, I am going to be going with Murray State. Murray State's a team that's going to be able to put the ball in the basket. You bring back Jacoby Wood. You bring back Rob Perry. These are two guys that they're able to do a nice job being able to give you some buckets. It's a Murray State team that they had no issues with their offense. The issues for Murray State, they all came on the defensive side of things where they were a bottom 75 team in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. With Murray State, you also have to wonder who's all going to be able to rebound for this team. They bring in Alden Applewhite. He's a six 6'7", a little bit of a stretch player that comes in from Portland. He should be able to help out a little bit as well. And then... I do think that they should be getting back in the full Jamari Smith. Jamari Smith last season he was able to register 12 points four boards. I know that Bart Torvick sort of has him as a little bit of a question mark, but I'm expecting him to be back for the scene, but with Rob Perry he just needs to really shoulder the load for the seam along Jacoby Wood. A pair of guys that they shot about 34.5% from three point range with Wood. Four and a half assists 1.5 steals per game. Perry played a little bit more off the ball, being able to pull in there right around five rebounds per game, but with D.J. Burns, that top rebounder of the fold. That really leaves this team with a Big giant hole to be able to be filled there. Sean Walker Jr. He's a nice 6'6". Six a six, little bit of a combo player that I think is going to be able to hop out on glass, but I think that this team is going to be decimated down low. do like the upside of Quincy Anderson who was able to give the team 7.3 rebounds per game, but I look at a team that I think is going to be relatively solid on offense. I think that they're going to be able to do a good job of being able to shock a few teams because they do have some nice players they are able to shoot it from three-point range. I think the defense is going to be their ultimate undoing, though. That is a big reason why I do have Murray. number seven in terms of my projector or finish. And number six, I am going to be going with Indiana State. I do like Josh Schertz and what he's been able to do, but you lose your top three scorers from last year, and that really does put you behind the eight ball. Julian Larry, I think, is going to be in for a good year. He's a little bit of a do-it-all sort of player for last year. That I do think he's going to be able to take some strides forward with his scoring. Only put up about seven points per game last season, but 1.3 steals per game, three and a half assists. Shot 46.4% from three-point range. And then you've got Robbie Avila. I absolutely love his game, Six foot ten little bit of a jitterbug guy, 10.5 points, four boards, was able to bury about 34% of his series. Aaron Gray, I'm thinking, is going to be eligible and should be good to go. The Niagara transfer was able to log 12.5 points, right around 4.5 rebounds per game. At Jake Wolf, he's someone that two years ago was able to shoot north of 40% per 3 point range while he was over at Moorhead State. Now, I do think the big key here, Isaiah Swope. What are you going to be able to get out of him? Someone that he very much fits the mold of Josh Schertz because he was playing at the D2 level a few seasons ago. First year at the D1 level at Southern Indiana in the Ohio Valley Conference. 15.5 points, 3.5 assists, 1.4 steals. Shot 42.3% from three. So he made a seamless transition, especially getting better as the season went along. 19 points, 3.5 assists, 42% three-point shooter in the final 18 games of the season. So that's something that you do like to see. But again, Xavier Bledsoe. Also, get back to his 2021 22 form. With a little bit of an afterthought last year, with six half points per contest during the 2021 22 campaign, a steal, three and a half assists nine points per contest. So I do look at this Indiana State team. You do have quite a few questions that do need to be answered because you lose a lot of that heart and soul from last year because you were able to get good production from Cooper Neese in the backcourt. Kavitsier McCauley, he was Mr. Do-It-All. He actually led the team in rebounds while also leading the team with 16 points, shot 38% from three. Indiana State under the radar was also a really good defensive team as well in terms of points, a lot on a per-possession basis, 62nd. You probably wouldn't know it because they do play a little bit more up-tempo, but all in Lost shirts, does a good job with a Preach defense. I think that he's going to do a solid job with his roster, but losing those top two scorers, I think that that's a pretty stinking big deal in a Missouri Valley conference where the top teams, they've got some pretty good chemistry. So I did put Indiana State number six in terms of my projector or finish, and number five, I'm going to be going with Belmont. Belmont is losing their top player in Ben Shepardu. They actually lost the NBA draft They also lost him to the NBA draft as he was a first-round pick. He was that good. But Malik Dia, I think, is really the guy that is going to be able to push this team over the top. He was at Vanderbilt last season as a six-foot-nine, little bit of a combo player. He was able to bury a few threes. I think that he is going to be a perfect fit for this team because what Belmont was really lacking last year was someone that was able to pull in boards. He didn't really didn't have anyone that gave you north of six rebounds per game. Being able to team up Jacoby Gillespie and Keyshawn Davidson once again, who combined for 17.8 points, 7.7 assists, 2.3 steals per contest. That's Big Davidson. He was able to shoot 35% from three and you've got a pair of guys that they shoot it really well at the free throw line. Don't sleep on Jason Willingham as well. The need transfer from Lee college, 16 points four boards shot in the mid thirties from three point range. And what I think is just so big Cade Tyson as a freshman last year, 13.5 13.5 points, 4.5 boards, shot 42% for three, had some clutch moments, including that game winner against Ohio to lead off the season last year. I think that this is a bunch that, when they bring in a transfer, they know exactly what they're getting. I think someone like an Isaiah Walker could take that next step forward this year as a sophomore as well. They've got good versatility. A bunch of guys are right around 6'5", 6'6". They're able to stroke the ball. Belmont last season, in terms of overall three-point shooting percentage, I know that a big part of that was Mr. Shepard, but they were number five in the country. With that regard, 50th in the country in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. I think they're going to be a little bit better on the boards with Dia coming in the fold. As a result, I've got Belmont number five in terms of my projector finish. And number four, I'm going to be going with Missouri State. Missouri State is that team that's like going to the dentist. It's no fun playing against them whatsoever because they play so stinking slow. And for Missouri State, for the love of Pete, hit a few free throws this year because for Missouri State... They were a bottom 20 team in the country in terms of free throw shooting percentage, but you bring back your top three guys. Olson, Mason, Donovan Clay, Chance Moore, all three guys that were able to average at least nine and a half points per game for the team last season. Down Ridgenal is someone that I'm very bullish on as well. He made about 37.5% of his threes as a six-foot-seven, a little bit of a combo player, five points, 4.3 rebounds per contest. Caesar Edwards coming in from Xavier, guy that really didn't play a lot of the last few seasons at Xavier, but the rated number 111, a recruit from the 2021 freshman class, according to 247 Sports. He adds really good size with having right around about six foot nine, six foot ten on his frame. And for Donovan Clay, he's Mr. Do It All. He was a team soft scorer with 12 points, five and a half boards, three point six assists, a block per contest at six foot eight. Not necessarily the guy that is going to light it up from three point range or anything like that, but also having someone like a Damian Mayo Jr. I think is big. He's going to be able to be a nice contributor in the backcourt. And the one guy that I think we're all sleeping on as well, that'd be Dar- Dawson Carper. Carper was able to make seven starts last season before he went down with a little bit of a season-ending injury. And this is someone that came in from Hawaii. He's got a seven-foot frame. When I was at Hawaii, I still remember that 2019-20 campaign. He was able to give the team right around six points, four boards. Needs to be a little bit more assertive with regards to his shot blocking. But I do think that there's some real upside with him. The question is, is he able to stay healthy? If he is, Missouri State is going to be very fearsome down low. That makes their slow, grimy style even more difficult to score on and that makes it just even more of a nightmare for teams trying to be able to put up some points so for missouri state i do have them number four in terms of my projector or finish and number three, I'm going to be going with Northern Iowa. It has been a rough last few seasons for Northern Iowa, but they returned literally every player that averaged at least 2.5 points per game last season. So, that's something that's big. You hope that Awesome Fife is able to get out there on the floor as he had to miss the entirety of the 2020-23 season. He's so old that he was in the fold for Northern Iowa during the 2017-18 season. So, I mean, this is a Van Wilder of college basketball right here, but When he's clicking, he's clicking. That 2020-21 season, he was able to give the team 7.5 boards, 12.5 points per game. He's able to pop a few threes. That would be big, whatever they get out of him. But just bringing back Titan Anderson is big. Titan Anderson, he was the only guy that could grab a rebound for this team. Nobody else on the roster had more than 4.7 rebounds per game, 12.5 points, 8.5 boards per game. And we're all going to look at Bowen Bourne, and rightfully so, because he was the main guy, giving you between about 17 to 18 points per game. When you look to a big shot, you're going to be looking at Bowen Bourne to be taking that. But Michael Duox, he is a guy that I think really went under the radar because he really improved towards the back half of the season. I was wondering for Northern Iowa, alright, you've got Titan Anderson, you've got Bowenborn. who else is able to give you really much of anything whatsoever, and Duox was that guy. Final 13 games of the season, 12 points, 5 boards, steal and a half per contest. Only shot about 31.5% from 3 point range, but he's a nice 6'5", little bit of a do-it-all player. You've got Trey Campbell who's able to give you 7.5 points per contest. You need to have Bourne be a little bit more of a distributor, which I know is asking quite a bit because he is such a good shooter, but you've got the weapon around him with Nate Heisey coming back in the fold as well. Before Nate Heisey went down, it looked like he was going to be in for another nice season as during that 2021-22 campaign. half points, 4.5 boards, steal per contest, shoots about 35.5% from three. I think that he's going to pick up right where he left off for the Southern Iowa team. They are returning about as much as any team in all of college basketball. I think that that is going to pay dividends for them. I do have them in my projector finish at number three. and number two, being someone that went to college while Brian Wardle was at UW-Green Bay, I do not doubt this, man. I'm going to be going with Bradley. I recognize that Rink Mass being out of the fold is big, but you bring back the Kings of Leon, Malevi Leons, who was just tremendous for this team last season. With Leons, 11.6 points, 6 boards, steal and a half, block and half, shot 35.5% from 3 as a 6.9, little bit of a combo player. This team, you know exactly what they're going to do. 268th or slower in terms of total possessions per game, 5 out of the last six seasons at Duke Dean, he knows how to run this offense. Nine and a half points, nearly three assists, shot 36% for three. Connor Ickman, he knows what he's doing in his backcourt as well. Nearly nine points and two assists per contest as well, and I feel like they've got some gems in the transfer portal. Trey Pettigrew, former top 225 recruit, going to 247 Sports, really just couldn't find his footing at Nevada last year, and Amirian Ellis is a former top 100 guy that was at Marquette the last season. seasons. Just got buried with all those guys being able to ascend there. But you also bring in someone in six foot ten, Kyle Thomas, who I think is going to be able to help out down low. Darius Hanna is someone that I like for the team, and this team just they guard you when you come off the bus for. The Braves, they bring back three out of their top four scorers in terms of total points as well from a bunch that was sixth in the country and points allowed on a per possession basis at home games, 13th in the country in terms of defensive rebound rate with opponents grabbing just 22% of their missed shots as a defensive rebound. I like this Bradley team. I think that they're going to be rough, tough, and tenacious on defense once again. I've got them number two, my projector finished, but we can't go against this team in terms of my number one team. We're going to be going Drake. Tucker DeVries and Darnell Brody is the best one-two that you're going to be finding in this conference. The Bulldogs have won at least 24 games in four of their five seasons under Darian DeVries, one of the most underrated coaches in all of college basketball. And on top of that, they were second in the country in defensive rebound rate. Opponent described 19.7% of their missed shots as an offensive rebound. They were 16th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and you got to go along with that Tucker DeVries. The reason why I wasn't so high on Tucker DeVries after his freshman year is that it felt like they had the ball in his hands a little bit too much, and the one question that you do have is, who's going to be taking over for Roman Penn? Is that going to be Aiden Wright, who comes in from CSUN. He's able to give you about 15 points per contest, Had the ball in his hands a little bit. Kyron Gibson, I think, would probably be the best option for the team at UT Arlington, right around four assists per contest. He's used to playing a little bit of a slower system. Ethan Roberts, you've got to think that at 6'5", he plays a little bit more off the ball. Lives was at Army last year, 12.5 points, 4.5 boards, shot about 41% from three-point range. But when it comes to DeVries, this guy is just such a freak athlete. He's right around 6'7", 18.5 points, 5.5 boards, shot 37-plus percent from three-point range and then for Brody. How about him? Being able to give you 7.3 points at a block per contest. He has just won the best low post presence that you're going to be finding in this conference. Carlos Rosario is going to be able to help him out a little bit down low as well. Rosario. A little bit of an afterthought in his time with Washington State, but he's a former top 200 recruit. I think he's going to be able to do a solid job, and this team is smart. 33rd in the country in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. They had the 5th best home free throw shooting percentage in the country last year as well. you bring back someone like a Connor Enright, who I think is going to be able to contribute a little bit more to the offense. Nate Ferguson is someone I think could be an off-the-bench scorer as well. This team has depth. This team has that star player Ducker DeVries. They've got that main low post Play. They've got that main low post beast and Darnell Brody. This team has all the goods. I've got Drake, number one in terms of my projector or finish for the Missouri Valley Conference. And that wraps things up. For the Missouri Valley Conference preview edition of Custico Soup's now I'm part of the Visa Family podcast, big thanks to Kevin Sweeney of Sports Illustrated for joining me in the last segment to break down all these teams. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Custico Seeps, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast. Up a podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letter ZM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way. That's fine an Apple Podcast review. If you read this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like here on this podcast via that five star review. I'm coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. Conference previews, as you can tell, they're in full swing. We're going to be doing one for all 32 conferences and then once we do that, you're going to be set for a very profitable and fun college basketball season, so appreciate being tuning in today and I'll be back with you once again tomorrow. Thank you.